0: KYW Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio, all news and all that matters to you, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Y'all good? Well, welcome. Welcome to this very special Flashpoint Live. We are delighted to be part of the Philly Pod Fest. So thank you all for having us here. And welcome to the Flashpoint family. You guys are a part of that. And we're here at the wonderful Indy Hall in Old City. Can I please get a round of applause? Because I want folks to know that we have a live studio audience. How y'all feeling? Good. All right. right. Well, we have a very hot topic to discuss, wrongful conviction. Uh, you hear about it, but it's hard to imagine what it's like being accused of something you didn't do and having to serve time in prison, spending years, many times decades behind bars for a crime uh despite the fact that you, you have claimed yourself to be innocent and your claims have fallen on deaf ears. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, twenty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-two people have been exonerated across the country since 1989, 78 folks in Pennsylvania since that time, and these are just the individuals that are included in the registry. We are very sure that there are many, many more. Have you heard this week rapper Meek Mill? You all know him? Mm-hmm. His conviction was thrown out, and after years of fighting, he will get a new trial. You also saw the movie When They See Us on Netflix, also talking about the wrongful conviction of the Central Park Five. Now, uh, there are so many examples um, that we've probably heard, but data proves that wrongful conviction happens in anywhere from 2 to 8%. 2 to 8% of all cases. Imagine 100 people in a room and 8 people don't belong there. Um, I can't even imagine. So how could the justice system get it so wrong? Wrongful conviction. Is it an anomaly or is it an epidemic? We'll dig in with our wonderful panel of experts. And then we'll have a discussion with a man who spent 25 years behind bars for a crime he did not commit. Mr. Anthony Wright is here with us as well. So let me introduce our first panel. First, we have Marissa Bluestein. And you all can clap to let people know that you are here. She is an assistant director of the Quattrone Center for the Fair Administration of Justice at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. She's also the former executive director of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, where she reversed 15 wrongful convictions under her tenure. We also have Patricia Cummings. She supervises the Conviction Integrity and Special Investigations Unit of the Philadelphia DA's office, and she's been exceptionally busy over the past year and a half, burning up headlines here. And before that, she made headlines in Dallas, Texas. Finally, we have Brad Bridge. He's an assistant defender with the Defender Association of Philadelphia, where he heads up the division that deals with juvenile lifers. And he's also opened all sorts of cases and has been in this work uh, dealing with um, wrongful conviction for more than two decades. Welcome, everybody, to Flashpoint. Thank you. Uh, Marissa, I want to start right with you. You heard my statistics. They don't do this situation justice. How big of an issue is this? And what are some of the main factors behind wrongful conviction? Well, thanks so much for having us all,
1: Cherry. It's always great to be with you. Um, Yes, so the number you, you cited is pretty much what we believe. We can't know. We will never, ever know the exact number of how many people are wrongly convicted, and that's part of the tragedy. And I think it's clear to point out that when we're talking about that number, the 2 to 8%, we're only talking about people who are innocent, yeah. not, wrongful, not wrongly convicted because the evidence wasn't strong, strong enough or wrongly convicted because of police error or misconduct or others, but they committed the crime. We're talking people who did not commit the crime. All of those are issues that need to be addressed, without mm-hmm, doubt, but mm-hmm. we're only talking about kind of a subset yeah. of wrongful convictions. People are innocent. And it happens because... We're all human beings, and there are several factors we've recognized. Eyewitnesses, getting it wrong, getting on the stand, looking at the defendant, saying that's the guy, and just being wrong. Not lying, just wrong. People who confess to crimes that they didn't commit, as, as shocking as that may be, it happens. People give full confessions to crimes they know nothing about because they weren't there. Forensic science error, police and prosecutorial misconduct. These are some of the factors we know go in, and I will say that those are factors, One of the reasons, the causes, is tunnel vision, where police and prosecutors get locked in on one particular suspect, and then the evidence that's coming in that they're on the wrong track just doesn't register with them. So we know that there are factors, and there are causes, and there are reasons, and they all kind of get into this mix
0: yeah there are lots of factors that go into this and so patricia i want you to pick it up you run the conviction integrity unit explain how you take some of the science and the data that marissa is talking about and you take that and you sift through these cases that are older cases within the da's office
2: Ooh, i think you want me to keep my answer to about a minute yeah it's a big it's a big it's a big yeah that's a big question um somebody asked me a question the other day that it was kind of akin to what you're asking but also kind of related to your initial question which is, is this an anomaly or is this an epidemic? Mm -hmm. And I think the best answer, short answer I can give you to both questions is the work that we are doing um, is very much like engaging in an archaeological dig. Mm. Um, And it is hard because you are going back in time and trying to find, the answers or the pieces to a puzzle, so to speak. And at this point in Philly, we are digging, um, and we are digging furiously every day. What we don't know yet is we don't know whether or not we are going to find a house when we finish that dig or whether or not we find a village. Um, mm-hmm. It is very hard to say the number of innocent people sitting in prison, and I'm speaking right now only from the perspective of Philadelphia. So when we do that dig, the dig comes from members of the community, inmates in prison, attorneys, all of them asking us collectively, take a look, see if you can find the answer to the to the problem. And certainly, we are mindful every time we look at a case of all of the various yeah. factors we know that contributed to wrongful convictions, which is what Marissa just went through. So, you have to have a deep understanding of that when you take a look at these cases and you look backward to try to figure out what happened. Um, and it's interesting. So far, I've, you know, about a year and a half in, I can tell you that nationally we know that all of those factors exist. And oftentimes, you see several of them in each case, but I can tell you in Philadelphia, it seems as if what we are seeing more claims of than anything else is not the junk science, the forensic science issues, but what we see is a lot of people saying there was a bad witness identification or there was a false confession. Um, So right now we see a lot
0: of our energy is focused on those two particular factors. Yeah, and we'll go more into this, this, these red flags that sort of um, wave themselves high that says, we need to take a deeper look at this case. And so, Brad, you're a defense attorney, right? Uh, you work in appeals. Explain the role in two ways of a defense attorney here. Um, at trial, are there red flags that defense attorneys can see that could lead to this? And then how is it different on appeal?
3: Um, okay, let me answer that. Um, <laughs> As a trial attorney, you want to look at a couple different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, information your client gives you, and also you want to look at what the prosecution's case is. Uh, in evaluating what the prosecution's case is, you want to look at who the witnesses are. Um, in the majority of cases um, in the Commonwealth, Pennsylvania, and particularly in Philadelphia, um, the majority of witnesses are usually police officers. Usually they were involved in the arrest. They were oftentimes involved in seizing evidence. Uh, So what you want to do is evaluate the police officers and find out, are there red flags regarding those particular police officers? Uh, And that's something that I've done uh, since 1995. Uh, And as a result, we've reopened uh, 1,500 convictions uh, because of red flags about police officers where the Commonwealth, uh, the prosecutor's office, could not stand behind uh, the convictions. And later on, uh, information we brought to their attention about the police officers came to light. Uh, So that's one of the things you would look at as uh, a trial attorney, Mm -hmm. is examining those particular red flags. On appeals, it's a little more complicated. Uh, I also do appeals, and and, uh, unfortunately, the issues get significantly narrowed uh, on appeal because what you do is you take as a given uh, the legitimacy of what happened at trial, and the areas upon which you can challenge a conviction uh, are much less. Yeah. Uh, So what you have is something different than an appeal, where you'd bring that to the attention of uh, Patricia Cummings. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have a post-conviction petition uh, or a petition based on after-discovered evidence where you learn new facts after the trial uh, that call into question the legitimacy of the conviction itself at trial.
0: Yeah. And we saw here in Philadelphia, the district attorney identified a list of police officers. And we have one police officer that has since been arrested and possibly could open up a lot of cases in, in that instance. And so, Marissa, I want to turn it back to you because you overturned 15 wrongful convictions. First of all, that's amazing. You know, that, that's great work. But the process, I mean... It took take. It takes years. It it's takes not years. easy And explain because Brad kind of touched on it. But this is not an easy process. It's not. It's almost
1: impossible, quite literally. So it's it, exactly what Patricia said about mm-hmm. looking back in time, trying to determine, you know, are those factors present? If they are, is, is there reason to believe this person is actually innocent? And then trying to see if there's evidence. We have cases with, with Patricia and I where we... I, I, I don't speak for her in any way, but my impression is that the district attorney's office believes that this individual is actually innocent. But if there's not the legal hook that Brad was talking about, yeah. there's no way to get it back in court. We don't... Ha- you, you can't go into court and just say, I didn't do this. The commonwealth says, we don't think he did it. And the judge says, oh, okay, we're going to reverse the conviction. That's not how it works. You have to have... A legal basis to do it. And in Pennsylvania, it's extraordinarily narrow. It's extraordinarily difficult. And so what we're really looking for is any evidence we can find to, to do exactly what Brad said of finding new evidence that doesn't support the verdict, that shows the person's actually innocent, and then get it before a judge. And then, particularly in Philadelphia, we have to convince the judge even if we agree, the judge doesn't have to go along with it. The judge still has to make an independent determination that this person is innocent and that relief is granted. So we have cases that are coming up now, Mr. Holman and others. Yeah. I've worked on for for over a decade, um, and that's just it's a very, very long process. And that's not even to say all the cases who we've never been able to bring forward because there is no evidence of innocence, which is why we are so grateful that the Conviction Integrity Unit exists because that's what they're there for. We've had... Uh, I, there are probably over 50 cases at the Pennsylvania Innocence Project right now of people who they believe are actually innocent. Then we are hoping that the Conviction Integrity Unit can help us take another look at that, maybe find evidence of that innocence, support it
0: in court. But without that, those people have no hope. Yeah, because evidence is what convinces a judge. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, Patricia, explain the prosecutor's role. Because we had a in- Conviction Integrity Unit before you actually came here, and I met you right after you came to Philadelphia, but very little had been done. You've been very busy. What is the prosecutor's role in this process?
2: So the very, very short answer to that question is the prosecutor's role now and in the past has always been to seek justice. Mm. I think the problem over the decades is that we've had some maybe disagreement in terms of what that actually means. Mm. Up until probably 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, prosecutors weren't even looking at this concept of what do we do if somebody's claiming actual innocence. Um, and that seems unbelievable when you understand that our ethical obligation has always been to do justice. How can it be that we didn't really start thinking about that until about a decade ago? Um, and and I've got to tell you, I think part of the reason for that is, and, and this is important for everybody who's interested in this topic to know, is that our criminal justice system has really been built on, I'm going to say, two important things that we often don't think about, and that is a bit of arrogance, um, we're all... All lawyers in the system, and we think we know best, and the concept of finality. And that is, because we know best, once we get that conviction, we need to figure out how to shut that door as quick as possible. Um, justice Anthony Kennedy said, we have this terrible, terrible problem as criminal justice stakeholders, yeah. where yeah. we put so much attention on the front end of saying, who is this person? Did they commit the crime? And if the answer is yes, that door gets shut, but we don't look back to see what that means. And of course, that is a much bigger issue because it's just about our problem with mass incarceration in the country. But historically, that's kind of where we've been. And now where we are is there are 45, at least 45 conviction integrity units throughout the country, which is remarkable. So we are now finally getting to a point where we say, this concept of doing justice requires us to admit when we've made mistakes, whether that's intentional or unintentional. And not only do we have to admit it, but we have to do what we can to remedy it.
0: Yeah, because people have to remember that there was a time before DNA, where I mean, when DNA was became um, more mainstream folks were being (laughs) excluded from all sorts of crimes. And we'll talk about that a little bit later with Anthony Wright. And so I want to shift a little bit with you, Brad, because uh, you work with individuals given mandatory life without parole sentences for crimes they committed as juveniles. And some have claimed innocence. And can you talk about the dilemma that people face if, let's say you've done the time and you're going up for a parole Sometimes there's a dilemma if you did not do the crime and you're going before this parole board. Could you talk about that a bit?
3: Sure. And let me. It actually kind of picks up on something that Marissa talked about in terms of legal process. Yeah. Um, so let's assume somebody's been in prison for 20 years, 30 years. Uh, this is all true. Mm-hmm. Um, and they maintain that they're innocent. Um, and the prosecutor's office comes to us and says, person's been in you know, 25, 30 years, has uh, done well in prison. That's an ample amount of time. Uh, we'll recommend uh, on resentencing because... Uh, the United States Supreme Court said you can't get the sentence you already had, we will recommend a time-in sentence. Uh, and that's when it becomes kind of a dilemma. Because if the person maintains they're innocent, uh, there might be certain claims that they could decide to litigate and go forward on. Uh, that would attend additional delay. Yeah. Uh, and I've had those clients where I say you have to make a choice. Uh, we can go ahead and litigate the claim regarding innocence, uh, or um, I can get you out in a week. Um, and that's a dilemma they have to f- decide, whether they want to forego the innocence claims um, and get out in a week or a month yeah. or litigate and spend several more years in prison while they litigate those claims. Uh, and that's a very difficult decision that people have to make, and it's a personal decision. Uh, I've had clients make it on either side, where they'd rather stay in and litigate that claim because they maintain they're innocent and they don't want to forego the innocence claim. And I've had other people say, I'm really unhappy about it, um, but I'd rather be out than spend any more time in prison. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the dilemma, and it's foisted upon these people uh, because of the way the legal process works, where you have to have a particular hook to get back into court. Um, and sometimes going down path A means you can't go down path B.
0: Yeah, it's an either-or situation. And Marissa, how do you guys help? I mean, you go to the prisons, all of you probably have gone to these prisons, met with people who didn't do it, and they're behind bars and there's a there's a different kind of life you're living if you're you're you just did not do it and you're serving this time how do folks deal with this
1: well while you mean while they're in while they're in yeah i I mean i think that i mean tony unfortunately can speak to that better than anybody um i i've seen so many of my clients they rely on faith rely on family to be able to have some connection to the outside world um, like Our client, Chester Holman, who was just released last week, has an extraordinarily strong family and is very well loved and was able to go home to them. Um, but we've had clients who have lost their family, whose families lost faith in them, uh, and it's a very horrific, horrific existence. Um, and I would say it's actually torturous for them while they're in prison. But it's most of our clients who are successful with that, they have some connection, um, family, faith, uh, to really kind of help them survive that. But overall, anything, they have hope yeah and when you know when they contain, can maintain hope that's what kind of can keep them moving forward
0: and my quick follow up for you Marissa is this because most of the time we only hear about the cases where people have done decades, yes. but wrongful conviction actually happens in smaller cases where people do two years, five years, ten years, and we think those numbers are even higher, yeah because we know for a fact people plead guilty to
1: get out of Jail, right? To get out of pretrial detention, to get out of you know, a situation there. And we know that. There's no question about it. You know, and most people who study wrongful convictions will tell you that that number is much, much higher. It's you know, certainly more prevalent. More people are prosecuted for misdemeanor crimes or smaller felonies than for murder or robbery or, or higher crimes. So we will never, ever know that number and you can't look at it because once somebody has served their sentence, they're ineligible for going back into court to clear their name. Yeah. So it is a horrible catch-22 for these people. And they still have to live with the collateral consequences of that conviction for the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just a number we probably will never, ever know. As I said, it takes decades to prove somebody's innocent. If they're only in for two years, they don't get that opportunity.
0: Yeah. And that kind of goes to my... I, Leads to my question to Patricia, because your job is to do more than just identify individuals who may be wrongfully convicted. You also deal with harsh sentencing. Uh, Could you talk about that a bit?
2: Yeah. um, When I first came to Philadelphia working for Larry Krasner, we talked about what our objectives were um, in regard to this work, and certainly Um, D.A. Krasner absolutely understood that the flaws in the system don't just go to innocent people being there. They also exist in regard to excessively harsh sentences. Um, Maybe sentences that were longer than they should have been because somebody committed a lesser crime. So it has been an objective from day one of the Conviction Integrity Unit to also try to right those wrongs. I will tell you, um, all of the work is a humongous mountain to climb for all the reasons that Mm -hmm. we've heard today but as far as the sentencing issues that actually seems to be even harder. Um, We've had some success in dealing with it so far but the law makes it so much harder believe it or not to fix those kinds of mistakes and if I could I want to piggyback a little bit on a related question and what Brad was talking about in regard to the juvenile lifers and having Mm -hmm. to make that terrible Mm -hmm. choice of Mm -hmm. do I go forward with my claim of innocence or do I go forward and try to get resentenced yeah. under Miller, which is the United States Supreme Court that said you can't give a juvenile life without parole. And it is so important for people to understand that prior to D.A. Krasner taking office, The former administration had this policy of making those individuals choose. In other words, if there was a claim of innocence, essentially what the prior administration said is, we're not going to let you go forward and get resentenced that was legally wrong, separate and apart from the question as to whether or not it was morally wrong, but it was flat out legally wrong. The good news is it's not quite as bad as Brad was saying. Um, I just point you all to look at the case of Johnny Berry and Terrence Lewis. Both of those individuals were juvenile lifers. Johnny Berry was resentenced and paroled out, but his claim of innocence survived, and recently Judge McDermott granted his relief. um, in the case of Terrence Lewis, it was a little murkier because I think everybody had given up hope thinking that Terrence was only going to get out of prison if he abandoned his guilt innocence claims and went forward on his resentencing. Once again, I've got to give kudos to Judge McDermott because Judge McDermott was not going to put him in that position. And at the end of the day, we had the resentencing hearing, and much to everyone's surprise, she actually said, that she believed he was innocent. And so he was released of all penalties of the life without parole sentence.
0: Yeah. And I want to say we did have Terrence Lewis on Flashpoint a few weeks ago. His story is amazing. You can check out our past podcast on that one. Thank you so much. Um, Because that is a tough dilemma to say, to give up. The fact that you've been saying this for decades, I did not do this, you did not do it, and you still have to release that in order to well, get let me,
3: out. Let me follow up on, before yeah. you jump to the next yeah. question, though. It's actually more difficult than that, yeah. and it's more difficult than Patricia yeah. points out, because even if we could work things out with the judge, even if we work things out with the, the, you know, the, the prosecutor's yeah. office, and we work them out with the client, to what we're going to do, that doesn't answer the parole authority, which right. is the state parole yeah. board. And one of the things that they look to almost exclusively— Uh, in determining whether to grant parole, not only for juvenile lifers, Mm -hmm. but everybody else's acceptance of responsibility. Responsibility. And maintaining that you're not guilty, um, as far as they're concerned, is demonstrative that you have not accepted responsibility, and they are more likely to deny parole, even if I work things out with Patricia. Uh, Even if I work things out with Judge McDermott, uh, we still have to go before the parole board. And we've had
1: that happen. Marshall Hale was up for parole seven times. And every time he got to the parole board and he could not accept responsibility because he said he did not commit the rape of which he was convicted, finally we were able to work out his, re- his release with the Conviction Integrity Unit because he was actually innocent. But he spent probably another 15 years in prison unnecessarily because the parole board kept sending him back.
0: Wow. Every time. Wow. And I, this is... That is um, a lot of I know we're here before this live studio audience and a lot of uh, I see people shaking their heads like they can't even imagine having to make that choice. So we only have a few more minutes left. And so we're going to run through a few more topics. And so, Brad, I've had the opportunity to speak with a number of exonerated individuals. How, um, you know, a lot of them had issues with their defense attorneys is. Is this a, a key theme throughout a lot of these cases? Um, and could it even happen if you had an excellent defense? Could you still end up with a wrongful conviction?
3: Yeah, you could certainly end up with a wrongful conviction with the, the best of all possible lawyers and the best of all possible uh, mm-hmm. judge or jury. Uh, it can still end up improper. The things that we discussed earlier, oftentimes we learn uh, as time goes by. I remember going back. I've been been an attorney for 40 years now. Uh, I remember trying cases before there was DNA. Uh, and a client said I didn't do it, and you're going like, well, you know, uh, if we had some way of proving it, yeah, that would have been helpful. Uh, that science did not exist back in, in 1979. I remember the first DNA case I got involved in was in the mid 80s. Yeah, uh, I remember having to have a conversation uh, on a very simple level with somebody about DNA because no one really understood what DNA was, and tried to convey that to somebody uh, was actually very complicated.
0: Yeah, because so just- in spite
3: of uh, excellent lawyers in the whole process. Um, You can end up with wrongful convictions. Um, And not all lawyers are excellent. Not all judges are excellent. uh, And unfortunately, we deal, as Marissa talked about, uh, the vagaries of humanity uh, in this process. And that's why it's imperfect.
0: Yeah. And I want to just kind of bring in this issue of racism. Because when you're talking about imperfect situations, you, you have a great attorney, whatever. But racism plays into this. And I've seen a lot of the folks who are getting out right now uh, exonerated are African-American male. And I right. cannot... And could you kind of comment on the, the, the racism as a factor in this um, wrongful conviction issue? There's no question that it's, it's you know, a factor. The question is, you know, how do we kind
1: of deal with that, mm-hmm. both in going in and then coming out? Questions. So there, the National Exoneration uh, Registry, which has been alluded to, is a uh, database which keeps track of all people who that we know of who've been exonerated, they've written several reports on the role that race plays. And it plays it from everything from, you know, why police focused on one particular individual, why an eyewitness chose one person erroneously over another. Uh, It plays into false confessions because we know that black men, particularly coming from where they come from, you know, when they're pressured by police, it's much often much easier to just go along with what they're saying than to resist and, be beaten or be psychologically tortured through that, we know that it plays a role in every single aspect of the system. And what we're trying to work on, and one of the things that we work on at the Quattrone Center, is exactly how do we address that? How can we put into place systems which will help account for the fact that we know people are racist, it's not, not even up for debate, but we need to try to deal with that, and how do we ensure that the evidence we're collecting is reliable and accurate, notwithstanding
2: the fact that we live in a
1: racist system.
0: Yeah, and any quick comment, because we're going to throw out our final question for this. Uh,
2: Quick comment. Um, My opinion on that question has evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. I spent about two and a half decades defending people in Texas And so often when I was asked the question about whether or not the criminal justice system was racist, I would always say, no, I don't think so. And I was always reminded of one of my favorite quotes of Mark Twain, which is, I'm not prejudiced, I hate everybody equally. And I kind of saw the world through that because I was representing individuals. And so I was seeing harsh things happen regardless of the color of someone's skin. Now as I sit here today, I absolutely understand that it it was never that. Um, that racism is a huge problem in our criminal justice system. And there is no doubt um, that it plays an important role in regard to wrongful convictions and actually innocent people serving time in prison. Yeah, and because this
0: is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. I want to take a moment to kind of focus on reform Mm -hmm. and what can be done to sort of sift the tide to where we lessen the number, this unknown A number of wrongful convictions and leave folks um, with a little bit of advice as well on what, if you have a loved one who says they're innocent, what should they be doing? If you could do those two things, and I know it's tough, 30 seconds.
1: (laughs) It's tough. Well, I mean, this plays a huge role, I think, in terms of preventing, because it's about educating people, having them be aware of the issues, what are the factors, and how can we address them? Because when people serve as jurors, or if they're in their communities, they can be aware of that. Um, one thing that I, we did at the project, and I do now at the center, is we work directly with law enforcement, prosecutors, judges, to educate them about the system. I work directly with law enforcement to try to get them to run eyewitness identification procedures differently train them differently on how to interrogate witnesses, how to collect forensic evidence so that we know it's reliable and accurate. So there is a lot of work going on on the front end to try to prevent those kind of systemic errors that exist from going forward. The, you know, how do you get somebody help? I would say if somebody's listening or somebody's here and they have a loved one who's yes. in prison – you can contact directly the Conviction Integrity Unit. You can contact the Pennsylvania Innocence Project. That's what they're there for. They are more than happy to hear from them and try to help them get through that process and, and get things
2: moving. So it, but it is definitely both backwards and forwards at the same time. Wonderful. Patricia and Brad will
0: give you the final word.
2: I, I'm focused on the backwards reform. Um, we're doing a whole lot of forward reform, but we've got to give Conviction Integrity Units better tools legally to get the innocent person out of prison and not have to spend months or years trying to figure out if there's a legal hook to do it. We've absolutely got to do that. That's number one. And number two, I think we've got to do better as a society that when we do identify those people
0: and we do free them, we have to take better care yes. of them once yes. they've been yes. released. Yes, because we didn't even touch upon what happens and we'll let Anthony kind of talk about that a little bit. And Brad, final word.
3: Yeah, the difficulties of reentry can't be underestimated. Um, In terms of the the final word, what you need to do, I think, is look at the way the system did not work properly um, and figure out what went wrong. So it can be eyewitness testimony. It could be the the lack of uh, preservation uh, of forensic evidence. Uh, It could be that they didn't go out and collect uh, video evidence from cameras in the neighborhood. Um, And that all will lead to improper convictions. So if you want to set up a system to work better, you want to figure out what went wrong and look backwards and figure out that's what we need to have at the original trial uh, that went on. In terms of of people that are in prison um, that are wrongfully there, uh, they need to keep faith that people uh, and the system will ultimately uh, come out to the right result. Um, And that means talking to the Conviction Integrity Unit, talking to um, uh, the Innocence Projects, even calling the Defender Association. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're all glad to help and try to resolve that because we all have Um, the same interest, and that is making sure that the system works properly.
0: Wonderful. Well, I want to say thank you to Marissa Bluestein, thank you to Patricia Cummings, and thank you to Bradley Bridge for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this very important issue in the news. Thank Thank you so much.
3: When we're out of time to give you the backstory, there's Scroll Down, the new podcast from KYW. Quality pre-K programs, not just ones that provide daycare. Case is, is three years old now, but we have not forgotten.
0: And at the very end, I gave her a hug. I was in tears, and she whispered in my ear, everything I told you, it was a thousand times worse.
3: What you didn't hear on air from the KYW team ready to tell all. Search Scroll Down on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
0: Our next guest here on Flashpoint Live is a man who endured two trials. He spent 25 years behind bars before a jury found him not guilty of the rape and murder of a 77-year-old woman. Now, Anthony uh, was just 20 years old in 1993 when he signed a confession. Uh, He had been beaten and interrogated by police. Uh, Later, DNA evidence not only proved that he wasn't the guy... But it also identified another man as the perpetrator in that case. Now, I met Anthony in 2016. I happened to have been in the courtroom the day the jury found him not guilty. And I was there the day the jury came back and gave him a hug, like, to tell him they were so sorry that he had been through all that he had been through. Anthony, welcome to Flashpoint Live.
4: Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Yes. So, first of all, how are you doing right now? Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. And make sure you talk right into that mic. Wonderful. So. <laughs> <laughs> I get to run into you on the street from time to time. And can I just tell y'all, Anthony is living his best life. I'm trying.
4: I'm trying.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you totally deserve it. Now, you are very willing to share your story. Yeah. Um, so, Miss Louise Talley. Yeah. She was murdered. Right. You knew of her right. at the time uh, when you were accused of her rape and murder. What went through your mind? We're gonna rewind back. What went through your mind? Uh,
4: truthfully, uh, I don't know of anything. You know I mean, I, 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 I was dumbfounded uh, 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 that I was even brought in and, and, and questioned uh, for this. Uh, I was numb. I was numb. I, I, I was 20 years old. Uh, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. I, I, you know, at 20 years old, I wanted my mother. You know I I wanted my mother. You know I mean? I was in there crying like a baby for my mother. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah.
0: And that's, I think a lot of us would be doing that as well. Right. And so one of the things that you heard our first panel. Right. False confessions. Right. Um, that was a topic raised right. as a big reason um, that leads to wrongful conviction. Right. You signed a false confession. Could you talk about what it was like being interrogated as a young man, and 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 how that happened?
4: Again, uh, you know, uh, I was twenty years old. Uh, you know, I've I've never been in that situation before, and something. Uh, of that magnitude, you know, we we, we, we talking about uh, killing someone, uh, murdering the first degree, a 77-year-old woman. I mean...
0: Uh, and the details were gory. We won't go into those. Uh, but, I mean, it was like, it was a very... Because I sat in yeah, the trial yeah. and the details of that situation to be accused of that yeah. and have all this happen. Uh,
4: you, you know, in there by myself, uh, with a handful of officers, uh, things got... A little physical in there, and 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 again, you know, uh, you know, I was twenty years old. You know, uh, I was scared to death. Uh, I was worried about my life, and, and and whatever they told me to do, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's how the confession came about. The sign and, of the confession,
0: and so the conviction came down. And then years, and then you spent all this time in prison. <laughs> this is before DNA. Um, excluded you yeah. from this. Yeah. What was it like? Because we're all sitting here, and I know everybody. When you hear about the the being in prison, first of all, it boggles most of our minds. But then to be there for something you did not do. Uh,
4: you know, uh, everybody think different. Truthfully speaking, I always believe the truth. Yeah, uh, one day will come to to the light, and 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 in fact, for me. Uh, the first time the Innocence Project accepted my case, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I felt, honestly, I actually felt like the problem was no longer mine. Mm -hmm. It was theirs. Uh, 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 The help I've been waiting for, for what seemed like eternity was finally there. And, 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 I can never muster up enough words to describe uh uh you know the men and women from the Innocence Project and what they do. This is a non-profit organization who fight to uh 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 help wrongfully convicted people through DNA testing. Yes. And 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 uh you know we litigated my case uh for 8 years mm. and, and, and until we finally was granted uh the right to have the DNA testing and and, and, and and more than anything, you know, more than anything, uh uh besides wanting to be out of prison, I wanted Miss Tolly's family to know yes. that Anthony Wright didn't commit a crime against their loved one. I wanted my family to know I wasn't a person that did this to this lady. So yeah, I didn't care what happened after that. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. just wanted to prove that, yeah, I just wanted to prove that you know what I mean I, I just wanted to prove that to her family and and, 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 and my family as well and, and, and in fact, uh miss talley's great niece and myself have become best friends uh since my release.
0: yeah, and you we've talked about this, and you always get emotional. Um, what kept you through? What held you? 25 years, brother, that's a long time.
4: God, God, the Innocence Project, Uh, my family. I mean, again, I can never muster up enough words to talk about the men and women from the Innocence Project. Not only did they fight this good fight, but they supported me every day in any aspect that I needed help. And I mean, not just me, my family. We become so close, myself and every member of my team, whether it was one of my, 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 my lead attorneys, whether it was a paralegal, whether it was a student. You know, in, 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 in any interview I do, you always yes. hear me refer to myself as the luckiest person in the world. Mm-hmm. Each year you're a client of the Innocence Project, you assign a law student. And if you're lucky, you might get two. And And, and, and I was lucky. I got two. And I got luckier. Sometimes I got three. You know what I mean? And, and, and I probably, and I see this all the time, I probably had more students than anybody ever in the history of the <laughs> Innocence Project. And and everybody that had their hand on my case, I'm still in touch with today, every day, every single body.
0: And I have to say one thing, because um, you, um, there was this DNA evidence. that not only excluded Anthony, um, from, from being the perpetrator in this case, but it also identified another man, yeah. Ronald Byrd, yeah. as the person who did it. And when you heard this DNA came out, you, you in prison, you must have been like, I'm getting out tomorrow, this is it. But that didn't happen, you had another trial.
4: Again, innocence project. You know, what I yeah. mean? I, I, you know all I had to do was be patient. I I, I knew for a fact it it wasn't a doubt in my mind. Yeah. It wasn't a doubt in my family mind what they was doing outside while I was inside. I mean, I knew they was chipping away every day to bring me home uh, to my family. uh, Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know, before this incident with me, or maybe I haven't, I have never invested into uh, what a hero is mm. and, 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 and until the Innocence Project came. Uh, you know, these men and women on their own dime uh, sacrificed so much. They're away from their families for days, for weeks, for months at a time. You know, yes. fighting the good fight for us, man. I mean... Uh, yeah. Man, it's, it's, you know... Uh,
0: Amazing. Amazing warriors
4: for you. Absolutely.
0: And I have to go to that day, the day I I met you soon after that, um, where you were found not guilty and not just found not guilty, but within minutes. And then the next day, um, almost a full jury panel (laughs) came back to hug this man and to say it was their absolute pleasure to give you that not guilty verdict. What was that day like?
4: i've i i've never met nobody like the them that men and women that group yeah. of men and women i mean it was unbelievable man it, i mean it, it it was so surreal man and 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 you know miss grace greco uh uh mm. she she was the foreman uh 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 who whom i've met several times uh you know since the trial uh 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 uh, and a few other people, man. I mean, you know, she she's unbelievable. And in, in fact, we call her Amazing Grace, man. I, I mean, I love her to death, man. You know.
0: Uh, yeah, you've had you've had angels along wow. your path wow. the entire time, and I gotta say, you've been living your best life. Yeah.
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> you you actually sued the city of Philadelphia, and, and a big part of the lawsuit related to the fact that. You were tried a second time, despite exculpatory evidence. Um, Money, people, money does something for you. But you were lucky Uh. because talk about the... Because people who are exonerated don't get a lot of help Uh. when they get out. Uh. Could you talk about that a bit?
4: Uh, You know, uh, again, uh, you know, I was a guy that uh, through that whole tragic situation... Mm -hmm. uh, I had so much support. Uh uh my family first. Uh, the Innocence project, you know what I mean, you know, immediately became uh my family and, 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 and being exonerated August twenty third, twenty sixteen, uh uh, you know, my right brain. Right before your
0: birthday. Yeah, my brain couldn't <laughs> think
4: look that far and I I, I would have never imagined that, you know, this city uh, where I was born and raised and and, 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 and spent uh, you know my life uh for twenty years and, and, and until this situation happened uh you know the way everybody embraced me and, and opened their arms to me man it's 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 you know i'm i'm still riding i'm still riding off it man so yeah. it's been beautiful it's yeah. been beautiful man
0: and you've actually built um a good life for yourself yeah
4: i'm i I'm, I'm trying yeah you know i mean I, I, I again you know all that go back to my family my family uh um most beautiful and loving people in the world yeah uh you know i i lost my mother yeah in nineteen ninety eight you know she was forty four years old um mm. i walked out of prison august twenty 2016 i was forty four years old mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing for me yeah. You know, I have never been in a world without my mother and 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 she was the first person from our family to leave us. Uh, uh uh you know, that's the hardest thing for me. You know what I mean? But, you know, my grandmother 93 years old. Uh all yeah. my aunts, and my uncles, and my cousins,
0: um your granddad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and Anthony here for those who can't see because this is audio. The he's he has tears streaming down his face because that's what wrongful conviction
4: does. Those tears of joy, they tears of yeah. joy. I promise you that
0: tears I of joy. But it, he's he's been rebuilding his life, and the thing that's remarkable about you, you still go back
4: all the time. I have to. I have to. Each year you're in the prison. Uh, the further you you are away from the community. Each year you're in prison, the further you're away from your family, your loved ones. Each year you're in prison, you get older. Each year you're in prison, your family out here get older. Each year you're in prison, uh, people move on to another life. And, 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 And a lot of guys in there lose a lot of people and end up with no family member. You be in this box with these men for so long, in some form, y'all be form a bond, and y'all become family. You know what I mean? Your joy, your pictures, your conversations about your family become his joy. Uh, uh, yeah. I cried with a lot of those guys, I walked the yard with a lot of those guys, I sit at the table and eat. Supper with those guys every night. Those guys are my brother. They need me. I needed them when I was in there. They helped me up. They kept me strong. I just try to inspire the men, man, you know, to keep on fighting, to keep their head up. And and I know what it's like uh, uh, for them to call your name for a visit. I know what it's like for somebody to call your phone Collect and you push that one. Accept that call. Uh, I know how much joy those guys had when I go back to the prisons and visit them. Uh, uh, I have that same joy, uh, knowing I was able to do that uh, uh, for one of those guys. Man, I mean, so Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I have a saying: Ain't none of us free. To all of us free. I mean. I believe God is the judge of all things. Uh, who are we as people to say somebody else don't deserve a second chance? Yes. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these men are getting second chances right now that are juvenile lifers. And a lot of men that deserve a second chance won't get that second chance. It's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame, man. It's a shame, man. You know, in my case, DNA. Uh I think the whole world is, should be in Barry Sheck and Peter Newfeld debt for bringing this to the masses. Yes. I mean, DNA existed forever. But these two men mastered mine, this thing, to bring it to the masses. Uh, 27 years ago, it was one innocence project whom I was able to get the information and contact, the people that assisted me out of New York. Uh, fast forward twenty-seven years later, uh, is a is an Innocence Project almost in every city and even abroad. Uh, yes. uh, I think the whole world, you know, <laughs> should be in debt to these two guys, man. Yeah. Uh, 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 both of them is is, is is very dear friends of mine. I love both of them to death. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: Can we give Anthony Wright? A round of applause. And um, I want to, and Anthony, I mean, Anthony's story is so compelling. Um, I'm going to open it up to questions. And I just could not interrupt you because it's just so compelling, Anthony. And thank you so much for being here. And we have questions um, from our audience. Uh, we have about 10 minutes or so left uh, in this um, live Uh, event. And so um, thank you. Thank y'all all all for being here. Can we, isn't this? Oh my goodness. Um, So the first question I want to throw out here is, do judges find it hard to believe that individuals are wrongfully convicted via false confections or bad eyewitnesses? In other words, are judges another hurdle to overcome in freeing the wrongfully convicted? And I'll throw this to our power panel, one of you just pick it up. I say absolutely.
4: It is, I mean, you know, in my, in my case, the judge I had on there. I mean, I mean, you know, some some of the things that that went on in that courtroom during my trial with this particular judge, uh, uh, you couldn't imagine.
1: When when we went into court for Anthony's DNA testing, the judge at that once the, the Commonwealth finally agreed to test, and this was the prior administration, this is not Larry's, Larry Krasner's office, the judge literally said to the DA, well, if you want to pursue um, a fruitless exercise, I'm not going to stop you.
4: <laughs>
1: Those uh, were
3: his words. And I can go one step further. Actually, I was um, in meeting with someone in the district attorney's office the day they got the DNA results back uh, that exculpated uh, Tony Wright. Um, and they weren't willing to accept it either, which is
0: why you ended up with a second trial. Now, right. with that, that second trial, I mean, I, I can't even. Some of the arguments that were made as to how you were the person, despite the fact that DNA proved someone else, it was wild. It's wild. So I, I want to ask we actually have five, four minutes now, probably like four minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much time as I thought. So uh, I want to ask another question How can advanced technologies, artificial intelligence, analytics uh, play in the fight to eliminate implicit bias and or wrongful conviction? Any comment on that? I'll just give a short comment.
2: Um, It's science, and science is proven to be much better than human um, behavior in a lot of ways, and so I think it will inevitably make us a Better society and a better
0: criminal justice system
3: with the, the caveat unfortunately that science sometimes later on turns out to be junk science that's,
0: that's correct, yeah, right. yeah another question, and we're moving fast, so that we can we got three minutes. <laughs> what legislative changes would open the door uh, to 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 widen um, challenges um, that allow more people who are wrongfully convicted um, to be released?
1: The most important is exactly what Patricia said. So Virginia last year passed a law to allow prosecutors to get into court and to pursue cases where they don't have con- uh, they no longer have faith in the conviction. That's exactly what Pennsylvania needs as well. And open file discovery, making sure that all discovery is passed over from the police to the prosecutor, from prosecutors to defense, so that we're not hiding things anymore.
0: And I have to throw a question in here about exoneree compensation, because... Um, What, uh, you know, Anthony, like I mentioned before, was lucky because he was able to file a claim against civil, a claim. But a lot of folks get absolutely nothing. And people always tell me, Cherry, I know this person is going to get all this, but you get less than somebody who actually did it. That's right. That's right.
1: Pennsylvania does not have a compensation law. Thirty eight states do and the federal government does. Pennsylvania does not. People have to pursue. I mean, it, it took Anthony years to get the compensation that he finally got, but getting out. There's no housing, there's no benefits, there's no nothing. Pennsylvania's got... It's far, far past the time for Pennsylvania to
0: do that. And I understand you guys lobby for that. And uh, final question. Um, Let me see. Is this another reason? Okay. We're asked about this, the spread of the uh, conviction integrity units across the country. Um, I don't know. I I think I got that one. I don't really understand (laughs) that question. So... Um... Well, I'm while you're looking for yes, that, let me, go ahead. Let me I'm sorry, I jump back the to right the, the
3: compensation part. Um, I've got a number of people out of prison uh, through reopening their convictions, and what they end up with is money to come back to Philadelphia on yeah. a bus. Uh, and that's it.
4: Exactly.
3: Well, yeah. they, they, they send them back on the bus.
1: No, my client didn't get the money. We had to go get them every yeah. time. and that, we had to go get them.
3: That's why uh, well, yep yeah, maybe I'm better than an attorney. I get I get fifty cents. You're
1: a much better attorney than me. <laughs> and I, wanna, I get the bus fare. I don't even get
0: the bus fare. And I want to give the final word to Anthony uh here. Your advice um, to some of the men and women uh who are still behind bars right now who have claimed innocence and are still waiting. Your piece of advice as we close this out.
4: Uh patience. Uh you've got to be patience, man, and and and, and you know. Like I said, you seriously, the day that the Innocence Project took my case, I feel like the problem was no longer mine. It was theirs. Patience. You know I mean, I just did what I was supposed to do and until that time, you know what I mean, and you know, uh you yes. know and and, 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 and it's, 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 I, I've never got enough words to uh, yes. describe them. I refer to them as my guardian angels in the physical form and this, and this life, man. They saved my life. Amen. I love them. Uh, Innocence Project anywhere, it's uh, yes. necessary everywhere. Uh, a win for any, Innocence Project anywhere is a win for Everybody. every Innocence Project everywhere.
0: Can we please give this amazing audience? That concludes. Our Flashpoint Live special event. Thank you so much to Brad Bridge, Marissa Bluestein, Patricia Cummings, and to Anthony Wright for being on Flashpoint and talking about these issues in the news. Thank you so much. And thank you to our live audience.